Today's episode is brought to you by Global Specialized Safety Incorporated. You can find them at globalssinc.com. That's globalssinc.com for all of your safety needs. Safe by choice, not by chance. Global Specialized Safety is veteran-owned and operated. Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Good morning to all you beautiful healing people out there. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Operation Tango Romeo. Amanda is joining me for episode number 194. Amanda, good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm doing really, really, really well. Uh, let's start with burnout. You are the owner of Lifesaver Wellness, helping first responders beat the burnout. What does burnout actually look like? Well, it can look different for everybody. Um, the overarching um, or maybe undercurrent, I should say, is um, that you just feel like you're at max capacity. Like there's, you're just completely full, tapped out, and you cannot take anything else because everything becomes a trigger. You become irritable. You're not able to sleep well. Um, you know, your, your relationships start to suffer. Your job performance might start to suffer because you don't have the mental clarity to really dive in and be present in the moment. Um, <clears throat> so that tends to be the biggest undercurrent is that you're just completely at capacity. Um, but it really can look different for everybody. There's all kinds of different um, symptoms and things that arise when, when people start to burn out. All right. So a sense of overwhelm, but what does that yeah. overwhelm look like? Like what is, um, how do people start changing in their behavior? Um, well, I mentioned irritability and yeah. just having zero patience, um, <clears throat> not able to process things, not able to remember things, becoming very forgetful or complacent, um, and, you know, sometimes it can even turn into angry outbursts. Um, and sometimes it's just a sense of um, being aloof, just kind of, you know, on autopilot and, and not really there. Um, you know, just kind of being in your own head and not present in your own life. Disconnected is what I'm hearing. So yeah. uh, it's, it's really the same uh, or similar to symptoms of PTSD. Uh, a sense of disconnection, a sense of just being on autopilot and and going through and doing the grind. It's why they call it the grind because you're, <laughs> you're in a mental meat right. grinder, just just pushing through. So, what are some of the tools um, that you offer with your coaching business to help people not burn out? Um, so my tools and methods are a little bit unorthodox. I have kind of a combination of multiple different disciplines, but from what I've found and in my personal experience is that we store stress and trauma in our body. And as much as we can do all kinds of mental work, um, to work through that and process and release, we really 
are doing ourselves a disservice if we're not also releasing physically. And I don't necessarily mean just going to the gym or um, you know, going for a walk, although those things are incredibly helpful, um, but really getting grounded in your body, um, connecting the disconnect and allowing yourself to actually feel, um, you know, the effects of trauma. And it, it, it's scary, certainly, because you have to feel it to heal it. Um, but you really need to find kind of a safe container in which to do that and a safe person to kind of be a witness to your trauma. So I work a lot on um, the the physiological symptoms and, and effects of stress and trauma. So we're talking about grounding techniques, breathing exercises to really um, activate the vagus nerve and release some serotonin and dopamine and endorphins. Um, meditation to really get that mind and body connected um, and really allow you to have your sense of um, identity and autonomy back. That is something that I have found that a lot of first responders and military, um, you know, over time, when they start to see the burnout, they start to experience the PTS, they really just have this massive disconnect. And being able to sit down and meditate, focus on, you know, use your mind to focus on different parts of the body and things like that um, really is, can be really transformative. Um, And I even, some of my clients are, you know, if they're willing, I will have them dabble into yoga as well um, because I'm a yoga instructor. And um, so adding all of those parts. Embrace the woo-woo because the woo-woo freaking works. It works. And, you know, I, I get a little bit of pushback or resistance because people think that, um, you know, it's going to make them soft. It's going to soften their edge <laughs> and they're not going to be able to react like they, you know, want to be. And what I propose to them is samurais, Spartans, ninjas, you know, all of the people who are the best warriors in history practiced meditation and yoga as a means to prepare for battle because it sharpens your edge. And art and acting and flower arranging, which are all mindfulness activities. Yes. It's all mindfulness. It's all slowing you down and getting you back into your body, as you say. And it's interesting. What struck me for the first time listening to you is that the natural coping mechanisms that people use, whether and I don't even know if it's part of the culture of how people do it. They just kind of do it by osmosis or if it's a natural reaction, but disconnecting is how they cope. So they they disconnect. That's the stiff upper lip. Just ignore it. Just push on. And in the moment Mm -hmm. that works. However, if you think that's the only way, uh, that's not a good road because you could only keep the wolf away from the door for so long and it will right. bite you in the ass. Guaranteed. Yeah. And I, and I talk about that um, because, you know, for a lot, a lot of years, there was no um, preparation for the mental things that we would be experiencing. Right. So in law enforcement, um, e- even fire service and military. But when I went through the Academy in 08, you know, they said, well, you're going to need to compartmentalize. And I was like, okay, so how does this work? And so I kind of tried to do that. And what I have learned um, in the 
many years since then, um, is that we live one human life and we are a whole human and you can't just cut off parts of yourself. Um, you can't just dissociate from those experiences because they happened. Your body lived it. And so if you're not acknowledging that, then you're denying parts of yourself, whole parts of yourself. And, um, you know, you're really not getting complete and living your life to your, you know, fullest potential. The natural coping mechanisms like gallows humor, you know, is also a way of disconnecting from the reality of it. You know, when you're, when you see somebody's brain splattered all over the wall, what do you do but laugh? <laughs> you know, when you see the inside of somebody's right. skull, um, that you, you, you can either sit there in horror, fight, flight, or freeze. And right. I guess there's, there's more than fight, flight, or freeze. There's also laugh. And, yeah. and people just do that. And you, you hear people telling the stories, um, some of the military stories that I've heard that are, I now hear in horror. <laughs> I don't laugh anymore because that's worn off. But uh, yeah. people think they're good. No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. And then 30 years later, it ain't funny no more. And it yeah. doesn't work. And that you can't be disassociated because you've been in the civilian world for so long that you are no longer disassociated. That's why the reality hits because you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> that right. ain't funny. And I'm a little bit disgusted with myself that I thought that that was funny. And then the shame and the guilt. Well, and it's, you know, it's a people get down on themselves and then they feel the shame and the guilt about it. But it's it's your body's normal reaction to a very abnormal situation. You know, when you laugh, when we laugh or sing or dance, <clears throat> Again, we're activating that vagus nerve. And so we're releasing serotonin and dopamine and all these good feeling chemicals. So your brain is saying, uh-oh, uh, you know, give me some dopamine stat and and then you laugh, <laughs> you know. So your body just, our bodies do some wild things. And if if that is something that your body felt that it needed to do to survive that moment, then by all means. But yeah, you're right. After, you know a full career, 25, 30 years of working in a trauma rich environment, you get, you get to max capacity and you can't just laugh it off anymore. No, that's it. And the horror of it uh, uh, settles in and people don't know that they're not okay. They don't know that they're, mm. that they're just coping and getting by at first. And that's why so many times, Oh no, I'm good. I'm fine. And they believe it. And then they go home and yell at their wife or backhand their kids. Yeah. And, they, and they think, well, it's because they're being assholes. It's, you know, and they, they, they're not able to look in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not, like I said, it's not just the, um, you know, the mental uh, load. It's, it, it stays in our body. And so then we act out physically sometimes and, um, you know, especially in today's world, that can be very dangerous. It's, I mean, you know, when, when we're not, when we're using our survival brain and then reacting out of emotion and not thinking logically, the, usually good things don't come of that, <laughs> you know? So we're, we're 
little bit too impulsive. And then, you know, you go home and you think about what you did and then it adds to the shame and the guilt. And then you dissociate even more. And then we're already back to square one. And then, you know, you just, then it becomes so scary and so big of an issue that you're not even sure how to tackle it. And um, I think that's where a lot of people are is they know that there's an issue, but they have no idea what to do because we're not trained for that, right? We're trained to deal with other people's problems, not our own. Self-awareness is so the key. A million years ago when I was in college, I got out of the army and thought, hey, you know, it makes sense. Let's go to police college. All right. Uh, So... I'm doing that, and and my uh, evening and weekend job was, uh, I was a meter maid. I was writing parking tickets. What a horrible, horrible job. And um, and there's a couple instances where somebody gets in my face screaming and flapping their arms. Uh, And even, like, this little lady comes up and starts flapping, and I wanted to punch her in the face so bad. And, And I, but I was noticing that, like, Hmm, I don't think I was very far from actually doing it. I wonder, should this be my career path? Because I could end up beating up an old lady or something, like something <laughs> horrible that I'll never forgive myself for. Maybe right. I should do something else. So I, I had enough self-awareness to realize, mm, I don't trust myself. I, this, I'm not good with confrontation, with uh, people being aggressive in front of me. But I had absolutely no idea why, that it was PTSD <laughs> or, or what to do about it. I just thought, nah, I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to do something else because <laughs> this could be right. really bad. And, and so we are trained. And honestly, I think it's just a societal thing. We're so busy scanning everybody else and what everybody else is doing. I mean, look at Facebook, look at, you know, any social media platform. We're always looking at what other people are doing. And then especially, you know, that doubles down when you're in um, a dangerous occupation, then you're always scanning for threat. You're always looking outside of yourself. And rarely do we take the time to slow down and reflect on what's going on with our inner landscape. Or have the courage to admit it. Like the, th- the story I just shared with you. Who the hell right. wants to admit that, right? Nobody. I don't want to. But it's true. Sure. Uh, when I heard fu- somebody say out loud, you know how many people I've killed in my mind while I'm walking down the mall? Because it, it's part of hypervigilance and threat assessment, right? Yeah. And that one's a throat chop. That one's a sugar dispenser upside the head. And, you know, and it, it doesn't stop when you're in super duper hypervigilance. And uh, that was true with myself as well, but I never said it out loud. You don't want people to think I'm a crazy person, but it's natural because you're in constant threat assessment mode. And if you don't say it out loud, like, look, this is is pretty crazy, but this is what's going on in my head. Then that lets other people know like, oh, you too? I thought I was just nuts and was totally ashamed of that. So I just didn't say it out loud, which is the point of having conversations like what we're having right now. Right. Well, because you're, you know, so trauma doesn't happen to us. It happens within us, right? So we can constantly, especially in the state of PTS, we're constantly re-traumatizing ourselves. And so that trauma, that even if we're creating it ourselves, needs a witness. That trauma needs somebody else to, to hear that and go, okay, 
that information's safe with me and, and you're not crazy. And so you're human. You had a thought. It, you know, was a fleeting thought and you went, okay. And, and you moved on it. You didn't act on it. You didn't, you know, and so, you know, a lot of us have, um, different levels or, you know, severity levels of burnout or PTS, especially, you know, law enforcement, military and, um, and fire service. And the thing is, is none of us are really willing to talk about it. Like we're all on this scale. We're all on this spectrum and nobody's talking about it. We're just like, well, that doesn't exist. We're just going to pretend, <laughs> right? And the problem is, is that it buries it, but then it keeps coming up, right? It just keeps like oil and sand. It just keeps creeping back up. And which increases when we don't talk about it, that's what increases the stigma. It's what increases the um, the misinformation out there. Um, there Absolutely. are, there's a place that was, is called Valor Place or Legacy Place. There's two of them, where it's a retreat for military and first responders. Well, the the hoity-toity neighborhood where this was in, all the neighbors were like, oh, these people with PTSD, they're, they're going to kill my children. It's like, ah, that's, no, no, this is something that goes on in here. It doesn't go out there. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that, that, that's not what hypervigilance is or does. Um, there's a veterans village in, in town here that, um, same thing, the NIMBYs, the not in my backyard crowd. And the NIMBYs are like, <gasps> a bunch of veterans of PTSD in this tiny home village. Oh, so scary. But there's a playground just down the street. Yeah, that means your kids are way more safe because these people are switched on and they see threats that you don't see. And they will actually go and confront those threats. So it's good. It's not bad. But because we don't have these conversations is is where that is fertile ground for that crap to grow. Certainly. And and I think that, you know, we the media plays into that a lot. Um, and, but there are almost everybody, like I said, is on this spectrum. So that we have probably, I would venture to say 80, at least 80% of our law enforcement and military are experiencing, you know, some severity of PCS and or burnout. And just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean that it's not present. And so it's already there. It's already an undercurrent. But then once you expose it, then it seems to be a threat for some reason. Um, and I think that that is why people just don't, they're not willing to talk about it. They're not willing to say, I'm struggling. I can't sleep. I have nightmares. I'm, you know, because they think they're going to be viewed as a crazy person. And internally, they're not going to view somebody else going through that same thing as a crazy person. Yeah. But they perceive that other people will look at them that way. And that's where, you know, when I go into my agency trainings um, and we start talking about this stuff openly, it kind of opens the door for everybody to start looking around. And I throw out some statistics like, you know, uh, 12 of you sitting here are, are, you know, have flirted with the idea of taking your own life and they all start sitting back and they're like, and then it <laughs> resonates and they're like, wow, 
okay, I'm not alone. And it's, you know, not, I'm not saying that they're in a crisis situation and and they're going to do it any minute, but they, the idea has crossed their mind and that's not, I mean, it's, it is okay. Um, but we can do better. Right. And so when we open the door for those conversations, then there's like this, an undercurrent of understanding versus that, you know, I'm looking at you or you looking at me kind of thing, (laughs) you know, that threat assessment. (laughs) Talk more about uh, trauma is stored in your body. Oof, where would you like me to begin? <laughs> well, people, just remember the the there is a lot of the, our crowd uh, that mm-hmm. hears the woo woo and they just roll their sure. roll their eyes like oh god, you know. But uh, but it's true. Um, yeah. Just how that manifests in the form of disease, right? So, you know, when we experience trauma as a whole human, um, we don't experience it only in our brain. We, you know, the information and the data is collected by all five senses. So all five senses can be traumatized, which is why we can become triggered um, by seeing something, hearing something, smelling something, tasting something, feeling something. Um, And when we are reminded of those things, our body reacts or can react as if it's happening again and we go immediately into a, you know, fight, flight or freeze. Um, But what happens is if you're not actively releasing what has stored and built up as far as stress and trauma, then you are actively suppressing it. So it's like trying to hold a pot or a lid on a pot of boiling water and it just keeps bubbling up and bubbling up. And what happens is because of the cortisol that is released during adrenaline dumps and stress, um, our body reacts to that as if we're under threat all the time. And then it starts to manifest in cardiovascular issues. Um, It can certainly, I, I experienced it myself when I burned out adrenal fatigue and your adrenal glands sit right on your kidneys. So it you know, it affects your kidneys. You can affect um, certainly your digestion, um, blood pressure. I mean, it it can really just wreak havoc on your body because we're not made to be under that much stress all the time. Now, tell me, you just caught my attention with uh, adrenal fatigue in the kidneys. How how does that mm-hmm. look? Like that means you're going to the washroom a whole lot. Um. Well, for me, it didn't affect my kidneys, um, per se, it was close, but, um, because I was giving myself adrenaline dumps all the time, I was re-traumatizing myself all the time, pumping cortisol through my body. Um, my adrenal glands just were completely overactive. So when I left full-time law enforcement, I took about a month off before I started my new position. And in that time, I involuntarily slept about 18 hours a day for that entire month. Um, I I did not have the ability to create my own adrenaline to keep going. Um, My my brain and my body just kind of shut down. Um, But it can get to a level where it affects your kidneys. Um, And, you know, I don't, medically, I don't know what that looks like. Um, I'm just thankful I didn't get to that point. But, um certainly something to 
research. <laughs> well, I it just struck a nerve because it's reason I can't be a truck driver. <laughs> I need to oh. be, need to be a little bit closer to a washroom. Uh, is, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, so maybe and something to research for sure. Well, it's not uncommon. Uh, there, yeah, there's, true. it's not uncommon at all. Uh, people that, uh, and they, people never say for what it is. They'll, I've had people reach out to me and go, Mark, have you ever had like problems with your guts? I'm like, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, 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 I do. Yes. And, uh, well, I don't want to be a long haul truck driver for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to even go a step further, you know, there are a lot of, um, so serotonin is produced in our digestive system. And if your body has trouble producing your own serotonin because of the release of cortisol that's happening or the amount of cortisol that's happening, um, it can affect your digestive system. And stress is the number one trigger for an irritable bowel syndrome flare-up. So, I mean, just things like that, that that we may not think about our mind and our body being connected, but everything is so um, interwoven and so intricate that one little thing in your thought pattern can be affecting your physical health and vice versa. Tell me more about uh, the vagus nerve. I don't even know what that is. I've just, I've heard the term. I don't know what the hell it is though. Yeah. So your vagus nerve is your 10th cranial nerve. Um, It runs throughout your entire body. And it, um, I'm almost positive it touches every or every major organ. Um, and so it sends, you know, signals through, you know, back and forth to your brain. Um, and it can be very easily activated with the diaphragm. So, um, anytime, any kind of vibration that happens in your diaphragm, um, or, um, exercising it. So if you, you know, taking the slow, long diaphragmatic breaths, you know, where you're really letting it in and really exhaling, that activates the vagus nerve, laughing, dancing, any kind of, you know, vibration, running. Um, And what that does is it sends signals to your brain um, to release, you know, those, those good brain chemicals that kind of gives you that internal internal hit for, you know, happiness. Which is why everybody keeps talking about breathing exercises because it activates yes. the, the vagus nerve. Um, let's say for an anxiety attack, anxiety slash panic mm-hmm. attack, where all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got to get out of this room now. Uh, right. I have here uh, people that are listening to audio won't see it, but a couple of super sours. So mega sour candies that uh, help kind of ground you. So if um, I'm having one of those attacks, which are rare, but they do happen, you are really out of your body <laughs> and mm-hmm. you, are, you are not grounded. So biting into a lemon or having a super mega sour candy, something like that just kind of helps to snap you out of it and, and get you grounded. But if those things are not handy to, to have, what is a breathing exercise that can help somebody get grounded? What's one that, uh, that you like? Well, there's a couple different things. I would say the first thing I advise people to do, and I will say this, I am not a mental health clinician, nor will I ever claim to be, but I've trained with mental health clinicians. And so, um, you know, I'm not 
prescribing anything, you know, gotta, gotta be ethical <laughs> Disclaimer. here. So. Disclaimer. <laughs> right. <laughs> do not sue me. But the first thing I do, you know, when I have been in the presence of somebody having a moment like that, um, is I ask them to reach out and touch things, reach out and touch tangible things that they are, that are within their midst. Right. And then actively look at it, touch it and name it out loud. So, you know, look at it, paper, and then, you know, take a breath and do it again. Um, my, probably my favorite breathing exercise for, um, situations like that is box breathing or tactical breathing. Um, and it's really simple because, you know, when you're in that moment, you're so in your head. And so you have to bring it back down. And so box breathing is counts of four and you inhale for four and then you hold at the top of the breath for four exhale for four and then you hold at the bottom for four and you do that. And I like to do four cycles of it just, you know, to keep the fours going. Um, but it really allows you to get back down into your body give yourself the time to realize that this feeling is not permanent. Um, and you know, there's, there's other little tips and tricks that you can do with some like bilateral stimulation type things. But, um, you know, that would probably be my favorite breathing exercise and always, you know, reaching out to physically touch things or touch your own body, touch your legs and, and, you know, really recognize that you are, safe and you're okay grounding is literally connecting to the ground so yeah. uh feeling yourself noticing your what it feels like to sit in a chair feeling your weight in the chair and the connection of that chair to yourself there's a scene in die hard where he takes off his shoes and scrunches his toes into the carpet well that's actually a thing because uh, mm-hmm. you are uh, taking away a connection barrier to the actual ground and uh, and you're putting your focus on what your feet are doing and there's a bazillion nerve endings down there which is why it hurts so damn much when you stub your toe and you, <laughs> <laughs> you could try what all you like to not swear around your kids, but you step on a Lego and they're going to hear all kinds of new yeah. words, but yeah. uh, <laughs> take off your shoes, uh, scrunch your, your toes into the carpet, just like on the Die Hard movie. It's a thing and, yeah. and, and, and it helps. And um, there's also a scene in Pretty Woman where uh, the guy, and I can't remember his name, it's Richard Gere maybe, Yeah, um, yeah. you know, he's in the park and he takes his his shoes off and he's walking around barefoot in the grass. And, um, you know, and for me, that was kind of symbolic because, you know, he was kind of a, even though he was in business, he was high speed, low drag. And it really caused him to take pause and and appreciate the moment and the little intricacies that are around us. So, um, you know, that reminded me of that scene as well. (laughs) (laughs) Another trick that I uh, have used very effectively, uh, we were touring Ireland and we're at the Guinness storehouse and uh, man, there's a lot of people and oh, here it comes like, oh fuck, I got to get the hell out of here now. But there was no out (laughs) like shit. So I boogied over to a window and the trick that I use is scanning from right to left uh, which if you're, uh, if you read English or, or any of the languages where you normally read from left to right, then you scan from right to left because uh, mm-hmm. your brain picks up more. It's a patrolling technique in the Army. But, um, or 
anyway, uh, so I, I'll, pick the, I'll pick the landscape, and I very slowly go along the rooftops from right to left, very slowly. Because oh. it, it, if you go from left to right, your eyes tend to skip over it more. <laughs> but from right to left, it's, um, uh, it's just more engaging for your mind. And that works for me. Or the outline of a tree, very, very, very slowly, all the contours of a tree, or, the, or, the, or a fence line, or the horizon, or right. the, the mountains are my favorite, but they're not always handy at a window. Um, <laughs> but that is something that I've used really effectively in concert with box breathing. So doing both yeah. at the same time has is, is really helped me. Because when it hits, it hits hard. And I need to get the hell yeah. out of the room. But that has allowed me to stay in the room. And and, yeah. and, uh, and my wife knows what's going on. So she'll be like, okay, I don't get it, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's just, I love that. Because that's something that, you know, it may not work for everybody. But the more kind of you know, laundry list of things that we can have out there, you know, then people can start to try different things and find out what works for them. Um, and so I love that. That's, that's amazing. Well, the, the more you have these tools and then actually try them when you need them and have a little bit of success, that helps fight the isolation. Because if you don't have yes. the tools and you haven't actually tried them and, and had them work for you, people just stay home. And that's yeah. not good because then you start a negative feedback loop. And the, the, I mean, sometimes avoidance is the only way and that's fine, but you need to find the courage to face these things and to try it and to take another crack on it and to get back on the horse. Um, and if that's just not working, then get new tools, get more tools, <laughs> something, yeah. you know. But um, if you end up isolating at home, that negative feedback loop is a road to hell and it yeah. ain't good because that goes all the way to addiction and suicide. If you yeah. hole up and don't face it and don't learn these tools. Well, and we are hardwired for connection. We are, you know, I, I just was uh, chatting with Jenna Romano with the street cop training uh, podcast. And she, she reminded me that, you know, we are tribal beings. And so we see things in terms of rank and what we can offer to the tribe and what we, you know, we find our self worth in that. And, um, you know, when we take that away from ourselves, then that self worth just plummets. And we, we really start to, um, suffer from, you know, the effects of what we're going through initially on top of the isolation. And, um, you know, personally, I, I experienced some of that because I was, um, working as a deputy sheriff and I lived alone and, you know, when I came home at night, I worked four to midnight, I came home at, you know, one or two in the morning and it's dark and, you know, you sit around long enough, the demons start to creep in and, and it's, if there's nobody around, it's, it's hard not to listen to them. Um, and it really can become quite overwhelming. Um, and then, you know, if you're the type of person that is solid in uniform and you get up the next day and you go to work and you're squared away, like nothing ever happened. And then you go back, then you just feel like you're living a lie. And then that's a whole nother you know, so the isolation just really can spiral very quickly. Yeah, some people uh, you'll hear 
well, I'm a lone wolf, and they'll take pride in it. It's like, ah, nobody's a lone wolf. The lone wolf is really bumming because he misses his pack, <laughs> you know? And you know what? That was like my motto for years because I was an old, I grew up an only child. I lived out in the middle of nowhere, so I was always out in the woods by myself, and, you know, that was my thing. I was just like, I'm so independent, and but I'm what I'm, you know, in, in hindsight, what I'm seeing is I was chronically independent. Like that was a trauma <laughs> response. Um, but the whole lone wolf thing just doesn't work because if, if trauma needs a witness to heal, then, then you're not healing. And, um, you know, it really is important to reach out and, and find those like-minded people, find people that get it. Um, and just, you know, begin to offload and, and kind of, you know, work through some stuff. What you just said, and actually what we've touched on indirectly about nine times during our conversation is peer support. <laughs> yes. And, but it has to be culturally competent peer support. It has to be peer support that makes sense, that is safe. And what safe means is not being a douchebag to each other by accident. Because, <laughs> oh my God, we're so good at that. So good at being douchebags yeah. to each other. So a culturally yeah. competent peer support, uh, the best place is a PTSD peer support group where people get it. And then you realize, oh, not only am I not alone, I'm really not alone. Like this is actually a normal reaction to abnormal circumstances and people are just not talking about it. So that's right. the power of these conversations too. Uh, like you've been on probably a dozen shows and every time you are, that is a permanent little lighthouse that, you, that you've built where somebody can come, they can hear you, have, hear a conversation like this and go, oh, that's what this is. And it's okay to talk about it like in public? the hell right <laughs> right and you know this is episode <laughs> this is episode number 194 so doing my little bit to for, for the same thing and if somebody doesn't right. have access to peer support well there's you on all kinds of different podcasts there's me on this show and there's so many others and if you don't resonate mm -hmm. with one well listen to another one there's kelsey sharon with brass and unity tune into her um whatever works for you that provides that sense of resonance which is the connection then do that right. <laughs> and do something but sitting at home alone uh miserable is not going to help you right and i think sometimes you know we um we become very reactionary mm -hmm. uh because that's part of the job right you know we're certainly there are proactive things out there for you know maybe not firefighters but you know for first or a law enforcement and military, but, you know, for a large part, first responder and military are kind of reactionary. And, um, we kind of take that on in our own lives and we're like, well, when something happens, I'll deal with it. But <laughs> then we don't. And then we're like, well, when, so when something else happens, I'll deal with it. But I think it's really important for, you know, people like you and I to be proactive and say, Hey, I need to get in your headphones. You need to listen the, to what we're saying because you are not alone. You are supported and you are loved because you deserve to be happy. You deserve to live a fantastic life. And, you know, 
if if they're not hearing that, if we're not out here actively pushing that message, um, then, you know, it may not get to them. There's, there's a lot of blind spots out there. And, you know, that's kind of my goal is to get the message out there that, you know, to try to fill in those blind spots and say, Hey, we've got you. There's a safety net of lots of people out here who get it. Um, you, you just have to, you know, kind of take that step. For the people, and there's a lot of them, and I know you've heard what I'm about to say a lot, but for uh, for the crowd that says, oh, don't poke that bear, don't kick over that rock, you know, just let, let sleeping dogs lie <laughs> when it comes to not addressing trauma. Uh, what do you have to say to that crowd? You're doing yourself a massive disservice because life can be so enjoyable and you can find freedom from that constant internal battle. Um, it, it doesn't have to be, you, you know, once you're in that position, in that mental state, it's not a death sentence. It is not a permanent state. You can get out of it and it's going to take a little bit of work, but coming out on the other end of that is the most freeing feeling you could ever imagine to be able to own all of your experiences and say, okay, these things happened and I experienced trauma and I had this chronic stress and it took me to a dark place, but I am better now. And I am always going to have these tools now to help me work through whatever might come my way. So, you know, I guess, you know, most of our, most of this audience is likely very brave and courageous individuals. And what I would say is just pivot that and be brave and courageous for yourself and your own quality of life. And it's the bravest thing um, most will ever do in their life is to actually poke that bear. Give it a poke. Cause it, and cause that, uh, let sleeping dogs lie. The dog ain't sleeping. You think it's sleeping. Mm-mm. It may look like it's sleeping. It ain't sleeping. It ain't sleeping at all. You know, but uh, the don't stir the pot thing does not work. Maybe for careerism, no. you know, maybe not for, for not speaking out in an old group, but uh, uh, it does not work with your mental health. You have to poke the bear. You have to stir the pot and you have to, you have to deal with it. You have to face it because if you don't, it it's going to bite you in the ass. And the longer you let it sit, it's like a cancer. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I feel fine. Uh-huh. The tumor's growing, man. <laughs> and and well, too many people wait till it's too late and it kills you. Yeah. And I was just going to say, it's, it's like a wound, you know. You get a cut or something and you let the skin heal over. But if you didn't clean it out first, then it's going to come back to remind you that it's still there. And now it's infected. And now you have to, you know, take the time and effort to reopen the wound, clean it out, and then let it heal again. So, you know, you're you're better off to to kind of tackle it now, tackle the big stuff in the past, so that you have the capacity moving forward to deal with whatever might come your way afterwards. It's like an old sports injury. People say, ah, like 20 years ago, I had this one bad hit in football and it just, it's never been the same. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. It's like, well, 20 years ago, if you hadn't ignored that like an idiot, 
you know, maybe it wouldn't be hurting you 20 years later. But it is the same with traumatic events. It's the same. Yeah. And our brains, you know, our brains do funny things when we experience trauma. Um, you know, sometimes we completely dissociate. Sometimes our memory fragments mm-hmm. and um, we can only recall certain things. And I think what happens is if we don't do the inner work, if we don't dive into it, you'll be 20 years down the road and go, oh, my God. And you'll get triggered by by something that seems very minor. And all of a sudden, all these memories start flooding back and you're like i had this wildly traumatic experience when i was 12 years old and i don't even you know where did that happen what did what was that and because our our brains have totally dissociated that you know and that's why the inner work is scary but it's so necessary because if you don't turn and face it it's gonna smack you in the back of the head (laughs) <laughs> Guaranteed. Uh, tell me a little bit about the work that you do with the groups. Like when you go to a police precinct or to an EMS station, um, what do you do for the group as a whole when you show up? Well, essentially, it's a um, it's a training on how to manage chronic stress, what burnout looks like, um, how to recognize those kinds of things, and then I talk about you know what how to mitigate the effects of trauma. Um, because you know, if, if you've been on the job for any length of time, certainly you have experienced trauma and the, um, the effects is, is what really kind of affects your life, right? It's, it's not the trauma itself. It's, it's how your body processes or holds on to it. Um, and then I talk about, you know, the importance of work-life balance. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, that's that's a thing because, you know, especially <laughs> fire service, you know, they're working 24s and 48s and they're just like, what is that? You know, I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, so we talk about that and um, and then there's a section on suicide awareness and prevention um, for in-house purposes because, Certainly there's already protocols that exist um, when they, you know, get called to somebody that's in crisis, but nobody trains you on how to talk to or recognize those things in a coworker or even yourself. And so I found it very important to do that. Um, I personally, I lost my, my best friend of 13 years when we were 17 years old and, um, she, she took her own life and it was very confusing and, and I, uh, did not process it. Um, so I had, I, you know, then I jumped into a a trauma rich job, right? So, um, as many of us do, so that is all very close to home. And so I really have worked hard to kind of develop, um, this training to make sure that it is culturally competent. It is down to earth. And, and I can really, um, talk about how to deal with these things in house if, and when it comes up. Prevention is so important and yet so few are, are dealing with it. Do you work at, like your work is preventative work really with the awareness. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I wouldn't like outwardly, you know, say that if, if, you know, with my one-on-one clients, I'm, I'm not saying like, Hey, we're preventing your suicide right now. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) but yes, um, certainly thank me later being, 
<laughs> right? But certainly we're, um, you know, on that same pathway for sure. Tell me about your Lifesaver app. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So um, it's got a, over 70 different little exercises, um, breathing exercises, meditations, um, recorded affirmations, um, which I have found to be very powerful. Um, it, it feels woo woo. It, it definitely feels like, you know, you're trying to manifest Embrace or whatever, the but, woo woo. right. But, um, what I have found because we think over like 60,000 thoughts a day, right? So those are our own internal thoughts, let alone all of the other information that we have, you know, coming in. Um, and there was a study that said that there was about, um, I wanted to say it was between 75 and 80% of those 60,000 thoughts were negative thoughts. And of those thoughts, 90% of them were the same crap thoughts that they had the day before, and they're going to be the same thoughts that they're going to have the following day. So we get stuck in this negative thought pattern. And when you can say out loud positive affirmations about yourself, about your circumstances, about your environment, you can start to retrain your brain and change your confirmation bias because our brains can only filter in so many of those 60,000 thoughts and, and all of the other data that we're taking in. So our brain only takes in what it believes to be important. And if you are putting it out there out loud verbally while activating your vagus nerve and, and saying these things out loud, that is what your brain is going to put in the little filter, um, you know, as it takes in information all day long. And those are the things that your brain is going to confirm for you out of your life. Um, so there's affirmations on there. There's a little bit of yoga on there. Um, I have little episodes, my warrior wellness vlog, um, you know, where I sit down and talk about a certain topic for 10 or 15 minutes and, um, and then there's a little SOS section, um, for, you know, moments where you feel like you might be getting derailed and you can get on there, do your box breathing, grounding techniques. Um, I even use, um, emotional freedom technique, which is the tapping. Um, I'm a certified instructor or not instructor, but I'm a certified practitioner in that. So, um, there's lots of, Lots of different things on there. Um, and, you know, I, I really wanted to make it super accessible um, for, you know, first responders, emergency services, because we don't take the time to do things like that. Um, and most of the meditations are under 10 minutes. Um, the affirmations usually are about two minutes. So I've had clients that, you know, they plug in their their little earbuds and they're in the station writing a report and nobody knows that they're listening to a meditation, but they can discreetly kind of do their thing and, and, and just bring themselves back down. And that's so important because there's still the idea and it's probably valid for a lot that it's career suicide to put your hand up and go, Hey, I think I, I need some help over here. Not doing so right. good. And, um, hopefully, 
And we are seeing a lot of change over the last 10 years, especially over the last five years, where it's more and more okay to not be okay, to put up your hand and, and they got you. So there, 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 that culture does exist in places, but not everywhere, unfortunately, but we're working towards it. And um, with the positive affirmations and things like that, you can't suck and blow at the same time. So you can't be sitting there being grateful for life. And, and, and uh, there's a practice, a Japanese practice called Maru, where uh, you say thank you a thousand times a day. You know, just thank you for everything. Thank you for that bird flapping past. Thank you for that tree. Thank, thank you for this car. This is a great car. It works. Thank you for, ha- <laughs> thank you for having the money to put, put into this. You know, uh, they, that person smiled. Thank you for that. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because when you look for it um, and you're always in that gratitude uh, uh, per- perspective, you can't suck and blow mm-hmm. at the same time. If you're always looking for okay. something to be grateful for, it's really tough to be looking for something to be pissed off at. Yep. So, and that is a yeah. choice, but it, like anything else, it takes work. It takes a commitment and you have to do it. Right. But it works like a hot damn. Yeah. And that's um, something that, you know, I, my, my coaching is, is month to month, but I always ask for, you know, a two month or, you know, two months of a verbal commitment up front because you really owe it to yourself to give yourself eight weeks to make the change. Um, not only because it's just, it takes that long to really solidify a habit. Um, but there are actually studies that have shown, you know, before and after brain scans, you know, before and after eight weeks, of consistent mindfulness tactics and techniques that your amygdala gets back down to a baseline, a normal um, size, whereas, you know, many first responders, military, it's, it's um, enlarged. Um, so it's, that's the fight or flight. My amygdala is bigger than your amygdala. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and ironically, I think some people out there probably think that that's a flex, like my amygdala is bigger than yours, but, um, yeah, and and nobody, nobody thinks it's hot. Just so you know, have you seen the size of my amygdala? I don't mean to brag, but I'm going to brag. I just had this brain scan and my amygdala is huge. Yeah. We're not even going to talk about how big my hippocampus is. Whoa. (laughs) Now that's a strange flex. Right. But in addition to that, those brain scans also showed that after eight weeks, the gray matter in your prefrontal cortex, it is, is increased. So your, your logical critical thinking center actually gets back online and, you know, you're using that more than you're using those emotional responses. Um, So it's really fascinating stuff. And, but I always say, you know, you owe it to yourself to give it eight weeks. Um, and it's not a, it's not trying to like upsell anybody. It's just, it, that is truly, um, you know, the best way to, to go about it is to give yourself that time. And if you're going to treat yourself and sign up with Amanda DeZanti, how are we going to do that? How do people get a hold of you? So they can go right to my website, um, lifesaverwellness.com, which I think in the next week is going to get a little facelift. So all my branding will look a little bit different within the next week or so. Um, and there are different tabs on there. They can find out about the app, find out about the coaching and the agency trainings. Um, I am located in Ohio and my agency trainings are, um, 
you know, the curriculum is good to go for um, officer personal wellness CPT hours um, this year. So that will go towards your continuing education stuff. But out of the state of Ohio, I am open to travel um, for agency trainings, just depending. And uh, yeah, find me on there. I'm on all the social media platforms. So they're all linked up on the website as well. So probably the best way to get hold of me. Can you do any work virtually? I can. Um, I, I have done, I've done several webinars. Um, I think the Florida Coalition of Crime and Delinquency had me do a little webinar and I've had a couple other opportunities that way, but I probably wouldn't do like a, a full on training virtually just because I really would not want to open a can of worms that I would not be present to sort out. If that makes sense. Roger that. (laughs) Amanda, thank you for being a guest today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. 100%. Please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. And remember, embrace the woo-woo. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.